So people of God in Christ, big words. Uh, Our faith is filled with them. And what do you do with big words? For some, especially uh, because they are theological words, some would let them alone. Uh, They let them go, as we say, in one ear and out the other. Theology, well, that's for the scholars and the theologians. I'm just a a regular Christian. The problem with that approach uh, to big words is that it misses the mark of discipleship. Remember the the four parts of being a, a disciple of Christ. Number one, a disciple of Christ depends on Christ. That's where faith is, trusting him as, uh, as God to provide, um, to provide um, what only he can provide. So dependence upon Christ. Number two, a disciple of Christ is a student of Christ. Um, that's the one aspect of the discipleship relationship um, to remember when it comes to big words. But to complete the four, a disciple of Christ loves Christ, and a disciple of Christ soon becomes a herald of Christ, uh, uh, one who loves the name and spreads the fame of Jesus Christ. But to be a disciple is to be a student. That's what the word disciple really means. A disciple is a student, and... and um, And we can't help but notice that when the apostles wrote letters to the church, they wrote them to the whole church. Uh, The book of Romans begins with this address, if you recall, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. That's quite clear, is it not? Uh, To all those who are in Rome. And Paul then proceeds to use big words and small words alike as he teaches the knowledge of faith, the knowledge that is required for saving faith in Jesus Christ. Sometimes small words are even big words. Uh, at least in the English, the word sin is, is, uh, is quite a small word, but it, it is of huge importance as it refers to our need for salvation, and specifically for that salvation provided for us in Christ. Of course, sin is, again, our English word, but it makes the point that short word or long word, uh, we really do need them all in order to have the knowledge that is needed for faith, and, and in order to have the growing knowledge that is needed for a growing faith. We cannot separate faith from knowledge. Um, we, are, we are not meant to just believe, despite, the, despite that expression or that idea within our culture. We need to know. And in this case, knowing is both an active and a passive thing, in a sense. Um, in one sense, we... We come to the knowledge of faith passively as somebody tells us the, the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ. But faith is also active as we receive that truth and as we seek to grow in faith by growing in our knowledge 
of God's word. Well, we begin in this way because we have another big word to consider this morning, and it's the word reconciliation. You might remember that several times ago when we were in Romans 3, we heard Paul's teaching and learned the connection between justification, redemption, and propitiation. Propitiation is the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, taking and turning the wrath and judgment of God, taking God's wrath upon himself and turning the wrath and judgment of God away from us. Redemption is uh, the result of propitiation. Uh, as the price is paid for our sin, uh, as, as we are redeemed, we are, we are bought back so that we no longer belong to the evil one, but belong, as the Heidelberg says, in body and in soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who has fully paid, that's redemption, has fully paid for all my sin. And this, then, is how we are justified, which means to be declared right with God, declared even to be righteous, even perfect and without sin <coughs> before God. So we really ought to love these words. I, I, I hope I can instill within you a, a love for such words because um, we, we ought not to groan and, and simply acquiesce like children being handed a vocabulary list um, with a quiz coming on Friday. I'm not going to give you a quiz uh, on any particular day. Uh, no, these are the words of the gospel. This is the good news. These are the words of our salvation. These are the words that mean for us heaven and not hell. Eternal life instead of eternal death. And another of such words is this word, reconciliation. We don't hear it until the end of uh, this passage, but it's really what the Apostle Paul is teaching us through the passage as a whole. Romans 5, verses 1 through 11. So here's the first point, peace with God. In Romans 5, verse 1, Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice all the, all, all the connections. First, the word therefore. Paul is, is not leaving behind justification as if to speak of other things now, which he, which he makes clear. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, and that ought to bring up all that we've already covered, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so the further connection is, again, to faith. The point is not just knowledge. It, it, it must be knowledge unto faith, a faith by which we are saved. And it's all about Christ. We, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the new thing here, I'm sure you can hear it, is this thing called peace. Remember that, that Paul is building 
Uh, he is building a case, uh, a, a case against all unbelief, uh, a case against all proud objection, uh, a case against all the doubt that robs the believer of hope. One of the greatest errors of the church, whether past or present, is, uh, is to leave the people of God without assurance. Granted, assurance, which means being sure of your salvation, granted, it will always wax and wane in the Christian life. Uh, we hear the gospel, we hear its finality and its glory, and we, on a Sunday morning or in, in a Lord's Day somewhere, we are exalted above the struggle of the Christian life. Christ has done it, and He has done it for us. We are saved, and we have assurance in that moment. But soon it's Monday morning, and we are struggling. Uh, Struggling in our obedience and struggling to be sure that we are saved. So assurance ebbs and flows. It, it waxes and wanes throughout the Christian life. But Paul makes this bold statement. And it's a statement that we're hearing now on the Lord's Day, but you, you can read it for yourself and you can proclaim it for yourself each and every day he makes this bold statement, and it's unequivocal. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's much like God's promise to Abraham, which we've uh, uh, revisited by way of Paul's instruction uh, ever so recently. Uh, there are no ifs. Uh, it just is. Uh, it's what God has done so that when we doubt, we, we need only return to what we know and to what we believe. When we, when we fall to sin, again, what do we learn? Well, we learn all the more our need and the great joy of having the blood and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So why does why does the lack of assurance seem to prevail it would it would seem in the church? Sometimes, many times, it's because some preacher in the church thinks that gaining assurance should be the motivator of God's people. Uh, try harder. And hopefully this week you'll you'll be sure Give more money. <laughs> Be more holy. Do more of what I say. And you can get there, maybe. But it's backwards. That's backwards from the gospel. Because the gospel is the gospel of peace. The gospel is the good news that even as we are justified by faith... And faith apart from works, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now granted, to, to speak of being at peace with God raises again the matter of sin. Why do we need peace with God? Well, it raises the matter that, that sin is really to be 
in a sense, at war with God. The word peace has many nuances. Uh, In one sense, the opposite of peace is, this would be an interesting Bible study uh, exercise. What's the opposite of peace? Well, the opposite of peace is war. Rebellion against the one who is ruling over you. So to be at peace with God is to come into a peaceful relationship with God. And ah, there it is, reconciliation. The opposite of peace is to be afraid. Um, to be afraid, which is where sinners are in their, in their sin. Uh, in fact, they are so terrified of God that they, they sin all the more. They commit the sin of idolatry by making up some false version of God who doesn't terrify them resulting only in a false God of their own imagination. So to be at peace with God is is to accept who God is. That yes, He is holy and just in His judgment, but being gracious and merciful, His judgment in the gospel is to love us and to declare us forgiven and righteous before Him. The opposite of peace is uh, is the struggle to survive. I don't. Maybe you call it anxiety. The opposite of peace is anxiety. But but peace comes by the promise of God in Christ. For what? For the resurrection of our bodies and the eternal life that is ours. Again, as we trust, as we as we believe, as we receive by faith what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. So next in Paul's teaching is standing in grace. Standing in grace. Verse 2 says, Through Him, that is through Christ, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The word also in this verse is, uh, is, is very important because it makes it clear that uh, our peace is uh, not for a moment. Sometimes even small words like the word also is hugely important for our understanding and for our comfort, for our, for our peace. Uh, uh, we may have come to think of, of peace in, in, in that way, uh, that it's something we have for a moment. We, we have the expression, if I could only find a moment of peace. But it's a moment of peace at times that we're uh, only looking for um, because we know that as soon as we find peace, well, it goes away again. Uh, life is a struggle. The, the Christian life is especially a struggle. So here is the Apostle Paul agreeing with the teaching of Jesus himself. Better said, here is Paul being a faithful disciple of Christ. In this world you will have tribulation, said Jesus, as he gave fair warning of what it will mean to follow him as one of his disciples. So, will Paul now promise peace 
when Jesus promised tribulation in the world? No, but but neither does the struggle of the Christian life have to cancel the peace that we have by faith. Jesus said, in this life you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In other words, you will have tribulation, but be at peace anyway. And in the same way, Paul teaches that we have peace with God, but that we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Here's a point of, a point of contact with one of the most confusing things about the Christian life. I'm still trying to figure it out sometimes. Uh, it starts with Abraham and Moses. Talked about this earlier. As we dealt with it last time, God promised Abraham rest and peace. God commanded his people through Moses to work hard, even to go to war. In the same way, Christ gave the call to come to him and rest. And yet, in his very next words, he spoke of the yoke, the, the instrument of hard labor and the, and the mark of his lordship over those who come to him to rest. And now in Romans 5, Paul speaks of the peace that we have with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, but he also teaches of the need to stand. And to bring it down to you and me, every week we we gather here in this place to remember the peace that we have with God, the promise of eternal life, the, the hope of glory. And we are here simply to give thanks for it. But at the end of every Lord's Day, we go back to work. We return to the work and to the struggle of the Christian life. Having worshipped on the Lord's Day, we, we take up the Christian life for the balance of the week. And how shall we understand this? Well, the point is to see, to, to hear and understand that, that the peace that we have with God trumps all of our struggles. We have grace in Christ for peace with God Propitiation has been made for our sin. We have been redeemed from our sin. We have been redeemed from Satan, from death, and from hell. We are justified merely by faith. We are justified, and the result is peace. As Paul will write later in Romans, if God is for us, who can be against us? That's peace but it's a peace by which to stand. It's a peace by which to live and to work and to struggle. It's a peace by which to endure and to persevere even to the end. And so next is joy by hope. You will remember that it was last time that we heard Paul first speak of hope. Uh, He writes of Abraham, Father Abraham, the father of all who believe, that in hope he believed 
against hope. And so Paul made, made a distinction, if you recall, between the hope of the gospel and the hope of this world. The hope of this world is only to say, well, I can only hope so. Maybe it will be, maybe it won't, but I hope so. But Abraham believed, and so he hoped against such hope. He believed and was sure, sure enough to take his son Isaac and to sacrifice him to God, at least to be willing to do so. Abraham's faith was never perfect, far from it. He doubted and he struggled to believe like all of us. But he persevered in faith. And never within his lifetime did he receive what God had promised him. And doesn't that sound familiar? So much of, we, of what we have been promised, we will not receive in this lifetime. And that's why Abraham is the father of all who believe, because neither do we receive within our present lifetime the fullness of what God has promised. And that's what faith is, according to the writer of Hebrews. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So that's hope. That's the hope of the gospel, the the hope that comes by the promises of the gospel. But next comes peace. And just as hope in this life is based on what will be later, so peace is based on what is true by the promise of God. And the result of hope plus peace. You could do this equation, I think. The result of hope plus peace is joy. How do you you rejoice when you are suffering? I hope to have us spend more time, as I mentioned on this next time, maybe the next several sermons. But how do you rejoice when you are suffering? And to some degree, we are always suffering. If not the outright suffering of direct persecution from the world, then uh, the suffering of growing older. Feeling our age, knowing that we're going to die. But otherwise, we we suffer from the anxieties of life. Uh, We suffer from the concern that we have for our children. Some of them are wayward. Uh, we have the suffering of, uh, uh, of the threat of losing a job, uh, and sometimes just the simple disappointments of life. It, and it tends to rob us of both joy, uh, of both peace and joy. But God's word says that we obtain access by faith into a grace by which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. In the end, hope, peace, and joy, they all fit together. In the same way that justification, redemption, and propitiation all fit together. These are different things, hope, peace, and joy. But one leads to the next. 
and each is based upon the other, and they are ours. They are ours in the gospel and because of Christ. And so the points of application are these. In conclusion, number one, going back to the beginning, be a true disciple of Christ. Be a student of God's Word. If it helps you, call him rabbi as you pray. Rabbi means teacher. It's what his disciples called him as he walked this earth. Call him rabbi to acknowledge your relationship to Christ as a student of Christ. One who depends upon Christ, one who loves Christ, one who seeks his fame and glory throughout the world, but also one who studies under Christ. Even the greatest of scholars uh, throughout history uh, have, uh, have laid claim to who they studied under. The Apostle Paul himself gained his prestige, or at least part of it, by the, by the fact that he had studied under the great scholar Gamaliel. But then he came to know Christ. He came to know Rabbi Jesus. And he counted all else as loss because of the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. Philippians 3, verse 8 we too should exult in knowing Christ and studying under His Word, which is the very Word of God. And male or female, it doesn't matter when it comes to discipleship. Even as Mary was commended for sitting at the feet of Jesus, while Martha only thought of what she could do for Jesus. So be a true disciple of Christ. Second, seek to grow in your faith, which is also to say, seek to grow in your knowledge of God. To grow in your knowledge of Christ and in your understanding of your salvation by the gospel. How can it really be otherwise? The Apostle Peter even even puts it this way, calling believers like you and me, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here Peter connects the grace of God with the knowledge of God. And, and Paul also, as well, in another place, calls us to bear fruit in every good work and to increase in the knowledge of God. Once again, faith requires knowledge. We are not called to just believe. We are called to believe in Christ, to believe the good news of Christ. And to grow in faith, we must grow in that knowledge made known to us, taught to us in the Word of God. Finally, remember daily that as a believer in Christ, you are at peace with God. As Paul will write later, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The judgment of God against you has been satisfied. 
And the God who was eager for your blood is now eager to bless you. Here by faith is the Christian's state of mind. To breathe deeply in faith, in relief, and to be sure that it was for you and that God is for you and not against you. Here as well is the basis for prayer. We can, we can pray with confidence. We can, we can pray knowing that God has called us to pray. And it's not a trick. It's not come here and when you do, I'm going to get you. No, He calls us to pray through Christ. He calls us to pray by giving us the peace of knowing that He, God Himself, has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ. His judgment is gone. His blessing awaits. This is reconciliation. A big word, a theological word perhaps, but a word that represents and that teaches us our hope. A word that gives us joy and peace in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray together. We thank you for reconciling us to yourself, O God. You are holy and just in your judgment, but you are gracious and merciful. And through Christ, by his atonement, by his sacrificial death and his glorious resurrection, we are reconciled to you. And we are so by faith. So grant us that faith, and by faith give us hope, give us peace, give us great joy in knowing and believing in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.